0: Hi, I'm Simon Russell, founder of Behavioural Finance Australia. Today I'm here with Stephen Hubbard, independent consultant to the superannuation industry. Welcome, Stephen.
1: Thanks, Simon. Good to be here.
0: Uh, Now, Stephen and I had a conversation a little while ago about uh, member engagement where we spoke about the need for member engagement, why it was perhaps overlooked, perhaps why it needs to be better focused on some of the problems. Uh, And today we're going to extend that conversation and talk a little bit more about the solutions. So hopefully we've got some proactive examples for you, and I think, uh, Stephen, we're going to touch on the need for just-in-time engagement. What were you thinking about there?
1: So last time um, we spoke, you talked about the issue of people moving into cash when there was some sort of event on the news. It was you know, the Greek bond crisis or Brexit or whatever, and uh, I can think of some of the conversations I had with super funds around the GFC, where they had quite young people moving to cash, but... You know, a month or two after the gfc and and the message they, they were lamenting that was right. the fund but they weren't doing much about it um and if they were doing something about it they were putting out fairly generic blast emails or messages to everybody um around the need for long-term investing hold your nerve those sort of things mm. whereas i think it needs to be much more targeted much more personalized than as you know as we've been talking about you know we're not all average, and we don't like to think ourselves as average, even if we are, which I think is a comment you've made to me before. So, rather than just a blast email saying "hold your nerve" or "stay," you know, don't move to Cash, maybe some sort of intervention when people come in and are about to switch. So, again, it's a technology solution. I'm trying to switch to the Cash. The, the The system knows that I'm under 35, and shifting to Cash would be a would would be a a, a bad decision some sort of message, an email, a a video um, of the CIO or the CEO talking to you saying, you know, let me explain why it's not a good idea. Now, if the person absolutely wants to do it, we can't stop them doing it. But again, intervening just in time where they're trying to do something and they're more likely even to think about the message. But if you just send out a broad email to everybody, they probably won't even open the email. Um, So that's another that's an example of what I mean by just-in-time intervention.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the just-in-time one um, Fantastic as an example and and the personal relevance which we perhaps can Mm. uh, dig into uh, In a little bit as well, but just on the just-in-time one one of the things that strikes me and I've discussed this in my recent book Is the extent to which people actually just forget stuff? so we might give them that same message that you've just described but um, when you look at, I think from memory, what was it maybe one hour of, of content is completely forgotten and of no benefit after five months. Um, so it de- really depends on how long after the event that the person's going to action it, and the more you give them, the more rapidly it declines. So it sort of needs to be just in time and really short bursts. So I know I don't want to give you a whole lot of stuff. Really, I'd rather really break it into tiny pieces and give it to you just at the point that you're going to make uh, each of those decisions. So perhaps we can dig a bit more into the personal relevance side there as well. Do you have another example where personal relevance has been able to be improved from member engagement?
1: Yeah, I think personal relevance is really important because if you get it wrong, it actually leads to disengagement. The feeling, and I'm sure we've all felt it from our banks or insurance companies or telcos or internet providers, that they just don't know me or they didn't listen to what I said last time or they've forgotten or, or whatever. Um, I had a good friend who um, told me, "Oh, you know the super funds, I just, I'm, I'm a member of a big fund and I just got this uh, letter from them uh, about preparing for retirement even though he'd already retired and were receiving an mm. allocated pension. Mm. So his perception of the fund just went down a few notches. Mm. They, don't even, they don't even, can't even work out that I'm actually already retired mm. And they sent me a letter asking me if I want to you know, start pre- preparing for retirement.
0: Yeah. And I had a similar example where my fund, and, and, and for those listeners who haven't met, I'm not retired. <laughs> uh, and, and a fair way from it, I think, as well. Um, but I did receive a bit of a, bit of communication after last year's federal, bud, uh, federal budget, which said something along the lines of, actually, I think the header of the communication was what the budget means for you. And I thought, fantastic, personally relevant content. This is really what I should be focusing on. I'm glad my fund has got this this sorted. Um, And I opened up the piece of communication. And the first thing they told me, something I think along the lines of how 70-year-old people who are still working can contribute more to super or the rules have changed for, for older people through retirement. And I thought, gosh, well, I'll just park that. I'll put that a little note in my diary. Thirty years from now, to to make a note and make sure I do something about that then. Um, so, whilst the idea of personal relevance in that case was a good one, and I think the perception is, is is part of the part of the issue, as you say, it needs to be perceived to be personally relevant. So that the title was good, the idea was right, just the, the actual application, I think, was uh, somewhat lacking. Mm-hmm.
1: And look, it could have been they wanted to get something out fast and didn't even think about those things. Someone sat down and said, "Okay, what are all the things in the budget that we need to tell our members? And they just blasted that out again without thinking, Okay, our members are all different. And it's interesting that the term personalisation is being used more and more by funds from a marketing perspective. And we're seeing it... across the board in commerce now that, you know, I go to Amazon and it and it makes recommendations based on my previous activity. You know, I I, I log on to Netflix and I've heard from people that not just will it recommend movies based on my previous behaviours, but the images it will use to present those movies to me will be tailored for me based on mm. what I've looked at previously. Um, so personalisation is becoming more and more widespread. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's, I, I always sort of hesitate when I see these fantastic examples because I sort of think, gosh, we just need to get to square one sometimes. And, and to give you an, an example of, I think, maybe the square one communication, it was, it was a, a fund that asked me to look at a piece of communication that they were sending out to members, and that was to disengage members, and it was to members who hadn't, they hadn't heard from for some period of time. And the letter was going out saying something on the lines of, Dear John Smith, um, we haven't heard from you for more than 12 months, the, uh, the uh, relevant legislation requires us to communicate with you. If you don't come back and, and speak to us, we're going to have to transfer your funds to the ATO. As a consequence, you'll lose your investment earnings and insurance. Now, unfortunately, whilst all that was factually true, uh, the response rates and the open rate, well, the response rates, I think it was a hard copy letter in this case, were extremely, extremely low. Now, of course, there could be several reasons. It could be we don't know the address. It could be we've got the name wrong. It could be all sorts of stuff they've moved. Um, But when you look at that piece of communication and think with the lens of personal relevance, what does this mean for me? If I receive this letter out of the blue from my fund that perhaps I haven't spoken to or thought about for years and years and I'm going to lose my investment earnings, is that 50 bucks? Is it five bucks? Is it 5,000? W- what does that mean for me? Or maybe I've got a low balance, but you know what? The insurance in my fund is really what's relevant for me because I've got a low balance, but you, you know I've, I'm uh, the, the sole breadwinner. I've got a family of dependents. It's the insurance that's important for me. Well, what you're going to lose is X amount of income protection or Y amount of life insurance, for example. So what that might then mean is Do I send out two letters? One for whom the high balance people with maybe low insurance, uh, maybe there's a different letter for them, maybe there's a different letter for people who are low balance and high insurance. Or maybe it just means I just need to demonstrate on the letter and and put those numbers in there. Hey, John Smith, for you, what this means is $5,300 was your investment earnings last year, perhaps if they got a higher balance, that's the sort of thing you're now gonna be losing. If you ring us, you can save what might be something in the order of $5,000 again this year. So it's demonstrating the personal relevance. And yes, I agree with you, there's a bit more effort required. That's maybe two different forms of that letter. Maybe there's a bit of having to link the technology onto the template document, but hopefully that's all achievable.
1: And in fact, you know, there are many funds now, or a handful of funds, that their websites and their content management system supporting their websites has personalization. It knows who you are and it will present images relevant to your age or if you're an employer versus a member. So they're doing it in some parts of their business and more on the marketing side as opposed to the member communication side. So it's not that they're not aware of personalisation or that they can't do it. They see it as marketing, not member comms.
0: Yeah. I think Um, one of the things we spoke about last time was about the compliance difficulties. And I guess one of the, the constraints here is if I'm sending out factual information, well, there's a whole lot of factual information and me as the member receiving this factual information, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do with it? So what really we need is a, a, some sort of connecting statement that says, and what this means for you right now is, dot, dot, dot. And if we can't answer that question, I would question whether we should send the communication. But if we can answer it, I think we should put it there. So we're not leaving the poor member to try and work out all this stuff that we've just sent them. We're making it more explicit. Now, a challenge, of course, is, well, is that now general advice? Is it how, To what extent does it go into personal advice even? But taking a step back from personal advice, can we give some general guidance? What this means for you as a younger member is, really, you should be invested in the higher growth option. As, a, as some guidance, all the disclaimers that we don't know your personal circumstances, fair enough, but at least give them something more than just the factual information. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's right. And, and I think and making it easy to do behaviours. Mm. You know, so making the... Yeah, you know, include a call to action and then make it easy to do the action mm. and to track track the outcomes of that action. Mm. So we can get that feedback loop. So we can feedback to the member because of the actions you did in the last 12 months, you've increased your balance by X percent that you would not, not, not have increased it by. So again, personal relevance, personalization, making it real, making the call to action clear and easy but also to measure it and feed that back.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that you, you've said there is you said action, not actions, which is one of the things I, I see all over the place. In fact, there was, I saw a comical example of this recently with a piece of communication that said something on the lines of what we really think you should do is work out a budget, uh, set some goals, uh, uh, download your credit card statements... And and when you've done that, if you need some more motivation, what you really probably should do is read this article, do this other thing, and if at the end of all that you need some help, ring this phone number. Um, Looking at that going, all right, so we're asking them seven things uh, to do on that whole list, and of course you give people seven things, they're probably going to do none of those seven things. So uh, I agree, you give them a piece of information, tell it why it's relevant, and then give them the one thing and make that thing as easy as possible for them to do.
1: And I have seen one or two funds at least develop a bit of a task list structure using that approach where they might have, when I log into my account, there's a bit of a, a, a task list or a number of steps I need to go through and they won't even show what the other ones are until I've done the first one yeah. and make it very clear that you know, there are seven things that you should be doing. The first one is X, here's how you can do it. Yeah. When you've done it, come back, click this box, and we'll
0: take you yeah. to the next one. I think that links so neatly into the behavioural concept of checklists. You yeah. call it tar- task list same yeah. thing, checklist, same thing, I guess, in that case. Uh, as a tool to work people through one item at a time, and you give them, what did they say, the journey of a 1,000 miles begins with a single step. Yeah. You're, you're not sure. going to take that 1,000 miles. If, if it's presented as a 1,000 miles, we've got to give them one, uh, one step at a time. And in addition to checklists, the other thing that I like, which perhaps is what you were alluding to there as well, is, is our decision trees. Mm. So we break down a decision. So, hey, you need to choose a, an asset manager, for example. Well, choosing an asset manager, that's actually a few different decisions. Do I, What's my asset class? What's, do I, is it active versus passive? What's the style? What's the manager? I'm at, you're actually asking me to make four or five different choices all in one go. Versus a decision tree, which can break that down. Right, think about your asset allocation. All right, and now in Australian equities, you need to have small caps versus large caps or active versus passive. We're breaking those down into small manageable chunks as we go. Fantastic. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Again, to try and keep things short and punchy. Um, Thank you very much, Stephen, again for your time. Again, um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way?
1: Um, Find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, just Stephen Huppert, Um, on on either of them and you'll find me and i welcome your um, examples, conversations, questions.
0: Fantastic. Uh, And as as I've said previously, I've got a book that covers a lot of this sort of stuff, um, Behavioural Finance, A Guide for Financial Advisors, available online, Amazon Book Depository and others. And people can get in touch with me via my website, behaviouralfinanceaustralia.com.au. Thank you, Stephen.
1: Thank you.